God himself. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much that you've revealed yourself to us in your word. And Lord, we thank you as we look at you, we see all your glory, greatness, your grace. And we pray, precious God, that as we look at you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray that we would see the beauty of you, the triune God, and that we would marvel and that we indeed would love you more. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have a look at your uh, sheets there, you'll see um, the outline there. On the back, I've put, in, I've put two, um, I guess, quotes. One's from a uh, church creed, and another one's from a catechism, which is just a, an, a question and answer format for um, teaching people truths. Um, and so I'll read them out uh, as we go through. But... Um, and, and throughout this, you can also ask questions if you like. So you can just put up your hands, shout at me, whatever you like, uh, and um, I'll be happy to answer them uh, as we go along. So yeah. Um, now we'll be looking. So last week we looked at the holiness of God, and this week we'll be looking at the triunity of God. Uh, and this attribute of God is one of the most debated um, aspects of God uh, has been throughout church history. God's nature in His being his persons, has been hotly debated throughout church history and has been one of the easiest attributes of God clearly to, to get into heresies. You even ask someone, and we'll get into this in a second, how do you describe the Trinity? And they'll usually give you a picture example. But as we'll see, any picture you try and use to explain the Trinity is closer to heresy than it is to truth. And so we'll look at that in a sec. But this attribute of God, this, this, the triune nature of God, and we'll get, through, get, get into what it means. It separates uh, Christianity, true Christianity, from every other false religion out there. Even things that kind of slightly resemble Christianity, like slightly, like Mormonism. Right? There's a little bit, of, little bit of truth in there, much error. Right? Or when it comes to Jehovah's Witnesses and what they believe. Again, the triunity of God separates Christianity from Jehovah's Witnesses. I had... Two Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door once, um, women about, I think, in their early 20s, uh, and they were asking me what the greatest gift at Christmas was. Uh, and they didn't even tell me that they were Jehovah's Witnesses, they just you know, came to my door and, and, and uh, asked me these things. And I said, it's Christ. I said, as an unbeliever, it was Christ. But now as a believer, it's the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and they said, oh, that's great, there you go. And I said, are you a Christian? I said, yes. And I, as we got into a bit more talking, um, they wanted to talk about some peripheral issues. But you can get stuck in talking about peripheral issues, but what I asked them was, is, do you believe that Jesus is God? And they kind of, uh, kind of uh, beat around the bush a little bit until I said, is Jesus Yahweh or Jehovah? And they could not say yes, because to them, Jesus is created. He's the first created being. He's not fully divine. He's called God. He's a God. But He's not on the same level as Jehovah. And I said, what about the Holy Spirit? And to them, the Holy Spirit is a, an impersonal force. And so when we look at these truths about God as He is triune, so Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're going to see something very beautiful about the Christian God. And so I'll ask you, if you could use an illustration or analogy, what would you use? And these are some of the main ones that are used commonly today. Water. Water. So water can be ice. 
It can be liquid or it could be steam. So maybe that's a good illustration, possibly. What about a man? Take a man, for example, who is a father, a son, and an uncle. Right? He's one person, but he's, he's got three different relationships at once. What about a three-leaf clover? It's one clover, but it's got three leaves or cloves. Or what about an egg in which you have the white of the egg, the yolk of the egg, and the shell composing the one full complete package of the egg. And maybe there's a little bit of you that goes, well, what's, what's wrong with that? It's got one, it's got three. But as we'll see, I want you guys to be very precise about what you can articulate, yes and believe, but articulate about who God is. So what's, what's the problem with these? First, water. Water can exist in three different states, but not all at the same time. It's either liquid, or it's steam, or it's ice. It can't be all three at once. Just in, 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 in opposition to that, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all God at the same time. They don't change from one to the other. The Father did not cease to exist in heaven when the Son came to earth. The Son did not cease to exist when the Holy Spirit came down to help the church. And this heresy is called modalism. As if God has different modes of being. Where he doesn't have three distinct persons, but rather modes. And he reveals himself in these modes to mankind. So, so commonly it might be thought, broadly speaking, the Father's in the Old Testament. The Son's mainly in the New Testament. And then the, in, the, in the kind of the New Age, maybe the latter half of the New Testament, it's the Holy Spirit. Now, what happens, or something, would, something that would blow this heresy right out of the water is if... God showed himself in his three persons at the same time and the same place. Now, even if we didn't have this example, it would still be a heresy. But I want you to think about Christ's baptism. You have Christ, the God-man, going to the water to be baptized. You have God the Father speaking down to Christ and saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And then you have the Spirit descending on, on Christ like a dove. So right then and there, God is not changing his modes rapidly all at once. No, he is three in one at the same time in the same place. What about a man? Right, A man is a father or it could be an uncle or a son at the same time. Now, he may have those three relationships, but he's still one person. But the Trinity is made up of three distinct persons. So this man is one person, one being. But God is three persons in one being. This heresy, again, is modalism. Because the man changes in his role depending on who he's interacting with. So again, he has modes of the one person. What about the three-leaf clover? Well, here we have the three in one. However, each part of the three-leaf clover is not a full expression of the full clover. Have a think about that. If we were to take one part of the clover, right... It's just one part. But the Son isn't one part of the Trinity, as if He's one third of, of, of the God's essence. No, they're all fully God and they fully share the essence of God. The Bible tells us that God the Father is fully God. Right? That one clover of the three-leaf clover is only one third of the clover. Right? Only one third of the full thing. But no, God the Father is fully God. God the Son is fully God. And the same is for the Spirit. They're not part God. But they're all fully God. And this heresy is called partialism. Like partial. Where each member of the Trinity is, has some part of divinity. It could also be called tritheism. 
where you have three gods rather than the one God. And what about the egg analogy? Well, the egg analogy breaks down because the egg is made up, again, like the three-leaf clover, of three, three distinct parts. Three distinct, but in this case, unalike parts. In the clover, there were three same parts or similar parts, but in the egg, they're, they're, they're not even alike. The yolk and the shell are different from the other two. But God is equal in His essence and in power and glory. And each person in the Trinity is fully God and shares all of the attributes of God. What is heresy? Tritheism. Three gods, as in the heresy of the egg. The thing is, you can't use analogies to explain the Trinity because they are closer to heresy and not truth. And so I beg of you, please do not use analogies when you're trying to explain the Trinity. And you know what? That's a good thing because it's something that transcends our finite minds. But does that mean we can't explain the Trinity at all? No, we can. But we explain it from what we can explain. And I'll explain that now. We can be faithful and true in what we do know and can articulate. But before we go on, I want to tell you one other heresy. And this is a really important heresy. It's called Arianism. Alright, Arianism. Named after Arius in the 3rd and 4th centuries. And this man, Arius said that the Son of God was created. Right? And this trickles its way down into things like Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses. He says the Son of God was created, was not eternal, and therefore He's not fully God. He says that, that, that Christ was of a similar substance, but not the same substance. Now in Greek, you've got a word called homoousios, right? Of the same substance. But He changed one letter in that word and made it into similar substance. So this whole heresy was based over, over one letter change in the word, right? But that one letter had a massive impact on understanding of who Christ is. But when you give up the divinity of Christ, again, you follow and, and you say, well, he's kind of divine, but he's not on the same level. And as soon as you get down to that, it trickles, trickles its way down and down and down until you get to what's called Unitarianism, which is essentially saying there's one God, that's it, the Father, and then the Son and the Spirit are not. Fully God. And then you've lost the whole plot. Now these attacks about the, the triunity of God and the deity of Christ raged in the church, or in the visible church, particularly in the first 400 years. And that's why we have some good creeds from then. As you look on the back of your, um, of your sheet there, you've got the Athanasian Creed. Right? But the thing is, these heresies haven't gone away. They're still there. They're still there. And so again... We need to understand these things. If you deny the Trinity, you deny the deity of Christ. And if you deny the deity of Christ, you're saying that Christ's death is not sufficient. Because Christ, if He was just a man, couldn't suffer under God's eternal wrath and punishment for all who believe in Him. He couldn't. So then if His death is not sufficient, then the Gospel is powerless to save. And if you deny the Trinity, you deny the deity of the Spirit. And if you deny the Spirit, then Christ's death cannot be applied to God's people Again, Christ's death is powerless to save. And so that's why it's important, even, even just merely for salvation. But yes, for understanding God's truth, it's really, this, these truths are really, really important. But have a look on the back of your sheet. The Athanasian Creed says this, Whoever desires to be saved should above all hold to the Catholic... Now that word Catholic there means universal. right? The true Christian church at all times and all places. 
Above all, hold to the Catholic or universal faith. Anyone who does not keep it whole and unbroken will doubtless perish eternally. Now this is the Catholic or universal faith, that we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. So you don't mix them, right, so that they all look alike and you can't tell who's who. But at the same time, you don't divide them and separate them. There's no separation in the Trinity. It goes on, it says, For the person of the Father is a distinct person. And the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. Their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. What quality the Father has, the Son has, and the Holy Spirit has. There is so much truth lodged deep within those statements. And so I encourage you to meditate on these things. But what does the larger catechism say here? It says there is but one God only, the living and true God. Yet there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one true eternal God, the same in substance and equal in power and glory, although distinguished by their personal properties. And so we have here very important statements about who God is. And so let me summarize it for you now. Joel Beacon summarizes it this way. There is one God. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three persons. The Father is the Father of the Son. The Son is Son of the Father. The Spirit is the Spirit of the Father and the Son. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one God. Any questions for you? It's pretty. It's 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 cuts. You can't wrap your head around it fully, but we can we we can understand it truly. But let's have a look. God is one. Have a look with me at that point on your on your sheets on the outline. God is one. This is the fundamental assert, assertion of the Old Testament that there is one God, and that's why the Jews are monotheistic now because they understand one God from Genesis one one. Do you remember how it goes? In the beginning, the gods created... No, it says God created the heavens and the earth. There is one God. Yeah. But they neglect to see that the Spirit was also hovering over the waters. Mm. So it's already showing that there's two parts of the God in the Old Testament. Mm. Right. Yeah, there's, there's more than one person. Yeah, and it, um, and, and we, uh, it, it, does, it says of God, He says, let us make man yes. in our image. So, they don't have Genesis in the Hebrew Bible? Look... They do, whether or not they, uh, they read it is another matter. But it says in the beginning, God. Right? And yes, as Ben said, we get hints of the triune nature of God in the Old Testament. Right? And yet here we have this fundamental assertion, there is one God. In Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, this is the classic verse about God being one in the Old Testament. It's called the Shema. Right? And all, all the Jews know it. It says, in Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh is one. And speaking about God delivering his people mightily from Egypt, Moses also states this. He says to the Israelites, he says, To you it was shown that you might know that Yahweh, he is God, there is no other besides him. No other besides him. In Isaiah 44 verse 6, God says of himself, Before me there was no other. Sorry, before me there was no God formed, nor will there be any after me. So, if you say, well, oh, well, God, there's none like you now, but, but maybe there'll be one like you in the future. 
But God says, no, there is none form before me, none, there will be none after me. Do they know the Psalms in their Bible? Yeah. David says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Your Holy Spirit from me. It's... Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what they believe about the Holy Spirit, but it's interesting that it's, they don't have a category for God being free. Uh, it's like he just, Holy Spirit would, I imagine, would just fit in there. Uh, maybe he's a force. I don't know. Uh, to them. Which is sad. Um... Uh, but yeah, they, they just don't have a category for a, a three in one God. Um, yeah, so you'll find it littered through all the pages of the, New, of the Old Testament and the New Testament, but Old Testament about the Spirit, right? And then you have the angel of the Lord, right? And when Jacob wrestles with the angel of the Lord, he says, I've seen God face to face, right? And so we, we read that as a pre incarnate Christ. Right? A pre incarnate Christ. And so there are. Beautiful hints and pictures. And what we call types, or shadows in the Old Testament, we see in full glory in the New Testament. Right? That's why we have the beauty of the New Testament. God has given us these, these, this, the beauty of understanding this glorious truth about the Trinity. And we then read the Old Testament with New Testament eyes. Don't forget that the Jews have Old Testament eyes. Um, and so we, we praise God that we have them. And we have, we have compassion for them because they don't have New Testament eyes. So, nor do they have... The understanding given by the Spirit. But in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 6 in the New Testament, it's exactly the same. The Apostle Paul says, There is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for Him. as one God. And this truth is so fundamental, so basic, that even the demons know it. In James 2 it says, You believe that God is one? You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. So if you believe God's one, great. So do the Jews. So, so the Jehovah's Witnesses, right? That's true and that's good and that's important. So what comes next that's really important? Right? Because even the demons believe. Right? And yet they don't trust. So we have this first truth. God is one. And so he's one in his essence, right? So we get this truth. God is one in essence. So how does the three fit in with that? Well, we see God is three. Have a look at the next point. God is three. We're going to take the clearest passages about God as three. Well, 1 Peter 1, verses 1 and 2 says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who were chosen according to, ready, the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. He said that there's no hierarchy there. They're all mentioned on the same level. Father in his foreknowledge, right? Sanctifying, and that comes into predestination. The sanctifying work of the Spirit and for obedience to Jesus Christ. Well, these verses that I just read out for you have to do with election or predestination. The election, right? Our election is rooted in the foreknowledge of God, right? In the loving purpose of God the Father. Its application is by the work of the Spirit who sets believers apart, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And the end of it is that we are forgiven by the work of Christ, we're sprinkled by His blood, and we are brought into covenant with Him that we might obey Him. And so we see here the Trinity in all its glory, united in its one purpose of salvation. Right? There's, there's not you know, three different members of the Trinity that the Father you know, predestines this group, and then the Son dies for this group, and the Spirit 
you know, you know, regenerates this group and applies the word of Christ. No, they're all united, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One in essence, one in purpose. As Christ said, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. In 2 Corinthians 13, 14, it says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This emphasizes the great redemptive blessings that come from each person of the Trinity. And it actually, if you think about it, it relates to the verses I just read to you from 1 Peter 1. And, uh, 1, Peter 1. It says, The grace from the Lord Jesus Christ. What's this? Right? Forgiveness through His blood. Forgiveness that comes through His blood. The love of the Father. What's the love of the Father? It's His foreknowledge. He's the loving architect of salvation who sets His love upon His people. And what's the unity or the fellowship of the Holy Spirit? Well, He sets us apart to be in fellowship with each other and in fellowship with God. Again, the Trinity is all one in its purpose and aim. Galatians 4, verses 4 to 6. And I hope you're getting this, 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 this pattern that comes through of the, of the unity of the Trinity. Three in person, but one, sorry, three in person, but one in essence. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 6, it says, 4 to 6, it says, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Father sends His Son to save, sends his son to save us. The Son takes upon Himself human flesh, obeys the law perfectly, and redeems His people, making them sons of God. And then God sends His Spirit into their hearts and confirms His sonship and gives us a familial, so a family, intimacy with God. Let's have a look at, at, at one more verse. But I'm going to assign you guys some verses. Alright? I was going to mention, I should have done that first, but we'll do it now. Now, Felicity, are you able to look up Matthew 28, verse 19? Um, <coughs> um, Leon, I'll get you to uh, do John 20, verses 27 to 29. Them in the name or names. 
Baptizing in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But are we given three names there? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? But no, it's one, so three in one. You see how you just, you understand, even to stand for the plurality or singularity of a word, whether it's in singular or plural, you can see the Trinity coming out there. Haley, are you able to read out Mark 1, verses 10 to 11? And I talked about this before. see this, this beautiful intimacy between the Trinity? This intimacy, and that's something I want to bring out. It's not just a dry doctrine. You know, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in, you know, three in one. No, there's such intimacy, such love between the members of the Trinity. Right? That they would, even, even just to be all on board to, to work out this plan of salvation. There's such love and intimacy between the members of the Trinity. He says, this is my beloved Son, the Father says. Am I well pleased? Doesn't this doctrine of the Trinity make you marvel? And this beauty of the unity of God, but also the triunity of the, 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 the three persons. And as you, as you read Scripture, right, in your own time, I want you to see these things, find these little nuggets of information, these beautiful truths about God and all this triunity. And every time you read it, I want you to marvel. But in every one of these passages, all members of the Trinity are equal. On the same level, there's no hierarchy in which there's an order of importance. Equal in essence, equal in power and glory. But thinking about the Son, why the Son, why it's important that the Son is God. Now, I don't have time to go into um, all these things here. If you want me to give you some verses later, I can come find me. But we see that the evidence in the Bible that the Son is God, and on the same level as uh, Yahweh or Jehovah or the God. He is the one true and living God because He's given t- divine titles. First off, Len, could you read um, John 20, verses 27 to 29? And He said, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put into my side. Stop doubting and believe. <coughs> Thomas said to Him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thank you. <coughs> All right? And so he reveals himself to Thomas. And what does Thomas say? He says, my Lord and my God. Right? There's no my Lord and, and you know, maybe a little bit of God. Or maybe my Lord and you're a part of God. Or, or, no, he says, my Lord and my God. Straight then and there. Straight then and there. So divine titles. So God, he's called Lord right, in the New Testament. He's called the Son of God. And other titles. He's, he's called um, uh, Mighty God in, in Isaiah 9. You know where it says he's Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. Um, it says Everlasting Father. Says, it says Mighty God. He's divine on the same level. It says that the fullness of deity dwells in him. But what else? The prerogatives or actions of God in the Old Testament are proclaimed by or attributed to Jesus Christ. Right? For example, worship. I once said this to a Jehovah's Witness. I said, all right, in the Old Testament, it says, you shall worship Jehovah alone and Him only shall you serve. I said, is that right? He said, yes, yeah. I said, so why does God command in the New Testament all His angels to worship Christ? Isn't that blasphemy? 
Can God do, can Jehovah do something wrong? Why is he commanding all the angels to give worship to Jesus? And you know what? He had no answer. Because he had to affirm the truth that only Jehovah alone should get worship. And yet here we have in scripture, Jesus being given worship. Right? And Jesus being given worship. And you know what? You know what anyone else, like the apostles, when they're worshipped, or angels, when they're worshipped in the Bible, they say, no way. No way. It would be sinful for them to receive worship. And yet Jesus, he never says, don't worship me. He always accepts it and welcomes it because it's what he deserves. But divine attributes or qualities are proclaimed by or attributed to Jesus Christ. For example, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let me tell you, man changes. God doesn't. It says again in Isaiah, he says he's the everlasting Father. Or it says he upholds the universe in Hebrews 1 3 by the word of his power. He's holding up the whole universe. Can any human do that? Can anyone who's created do that? No, they can't. And so we see clearly throughout all of Scripture, right, that the Son is God on the same level as the Father. But what about the Spirit? Well, the Spirit bears divine names. He's not only called the Holy Spirit, but it says that He is God. Ben, I'll get you read out Acts 5, verse 3 to 4. And I want you to notice the parallelism between who Ananias and Sapphira lied to and then the Holy Spirit. Thanks, Ben. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. Thank you. Alright? So get what Peter says there. He says, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Right? Good. And then why does it say then after that? It says, You have not lied to men, but to God. So he's equating them. They go hand in hand. If you lie to the Holy Spirit, you lie to God. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses, for example believe that the Holy Spirit is a force. That any time the New Testament or any time there's a reference in the Bible to the Holy Spirit, it always says He. It never says it. There's no impersonal pronoun. Again, it's even the beauty of language, right? It brings out these, these truths about the divinity of the Holy Spirit. It says He. The person of the Holy Spirit. He's not an it. So whenever you pray or hear someone saying it in, your, in their prayers, I want you to it should make you cringe, right? Because you are not giving the Spirit the glory, even as a person, let alone as God, the glory that He deserves. Here, Lynn. I was just going to say, sometimes with grief and slightly going to yourself, you refer to a noun if it's implied by its gender. There were two readers in there, and they handy, so we can't call them so. So there is no it in English, we just refer to it as it. So, but I still agree with you. Well, there is, there is he, um, and so there's an it and a he. So when it's talking about, there are pronouns as well. Uh, and so when the pronouns refer to the person, it will say it or he. And so you, you translate it based on whether it's in person or the person. So with the pen, you say, have you seen the pen or have you seen her? That's how you say in Greek. So you can use both if it's implied if you know what person it refers to. Um, the, word the word itself may have a gender to it, but the pronoun... Is shows whether it's actually he or it, or she or it, or her or him. So there's an, there is an extra word that says he. Um, so yeah. So, so in terms of it, it goes deeper than that. So 
So yeah. Um, so the, if it was if there was no pronouns uh, in in Greek, then yeah, then that's what you'd find. Yeah, there would be more ambiguity, but there is there isn't thankfully. Um, and so when you yeah, so think about the, the divinity spirit. Divine works are also attributed to the spirit. So he has created all things. He preserves and governs things. He he's involved with forgiveness of sins. And that's the same thing even of Christ. Who can forgive sins except, except God alone? Divine honour is given to the Spirit. One can sin against the Holy Spirit and then in fact commit the, the unforgivable sin. So if the Holy Spirit was an impersonal force, how can you sin against Him? Or even in the New Testament, how can you grieve an impersonal force? And why is it wrong to grieve the Holy Spirit if He's not God in that sense? And so we see... The beauty of, as, of the Son as God, of the Spirit as God, not only in implication, but also explicitly as well. So we come to, how, how do we respond to these truths? Are they just truths to be uh, recorded down in a, in a book or tome and just placed on the shelf to gather dust and maybe we, we get it down and we want to refer to it now and then? No. Well, how should we first respond? Well, the first thing is Community. Community and the, this intra-trinitarian—what a word! Intra-trinitarian relationship points to unity of love. So in one John it says, "Indeed, our fellowship is with the uh, with you and with the Father and His Son." And so this, even as we're in fellowship with different members of the Trinity, we're in fellowship with His with Christ's body as well. And so when we think about the the love between the members of the Trinity. That should be reflected in our body as believers here at church. Why do you think we're relational beings? Because God is relational. If God was only one and not three, He's not relational. He can't be. Because He's always existed in, in, by Himself. And so the beauty is that God is in His intra-Trinitarian nature. He, it's one of love and, and unity. Joel Beakey says this, The Trinity reminds us that that relationships are central to the Christian faith. To worship the triune God in isolation from other Christians is a contradiction. We must not pretend to know the triune God while living in broken relationships with others by failing to do what is in our power to reconcile. Instead, we should strive for peace, harmony, unity, partnership and deep friendship with God's saints. That's the first thing, community and love for each other. Well, next, prayer and worship. We can and should have an intimate personal relationship with each member of the Trinity. And a lot of people sometimes seek one. Maybe it's the Father to the neglect of the Son and the Spirit. I've heard some people, they only pray to Jesus. And some people, they, 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 it's all about the Spirit. And yes, in Scripture we see that primarily prayer is offered to the Father through the Son and His mediation by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, there is a pattern. Um, to the Father. We have access to the Father through Christ by the Spirit. And yet, that doesn't mean we neglect the Son or the Spirit in our prayers and in our worship. In our preaching and teaching and in our conversations to each other, we're not to neglect any member of the Trinity, you know, the forgotten member or members of the Trinity. Have you ever thought about that? How often do you talk about the Spirit? In some places too little, in other places too much when it's to the neglect of the Father and the Son. No, we must worship, we must love, we must adore and honour every member 
of the Trinity. What an encouragement as we worship the Father who encourages us and gives us good gifts. We worship the Son as He intercedes for us at God's right hand and we worship the Spirit as He helps us and intercedes for us in our hearts. In his book, Communion with God, John Owen stresses that we're to have communion with each member of the Trinity. And he bases it off this verse, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, which was read out before. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And he says that our, our intimacy and our fellowship and our communion with each member of the Trinity often goes primarily in, in one way with each member. Let me explain. Well, first, our communion with the Father is supremely in love. We rest in this everlasting and infinite love. And we perceive this love by faith. And often when the Father is spoken about, it's love that's attributed to Him. But when we think of grace, it's often most attributed to the Son. And so we commune with the Son supremely in grace, in His beauty, and all sufficiency in His work, right? And in His person, as our Saviour and our Lord, the bride, sorry, the, the groom of the bride, we who are His church. And so when we commune with the Son, we, we marvel, even most, if I can put it this way, at His grace to us. And third, with the Spirit, is in comfort and fellowship as He applies to us all the blessings and privileges of, of salvation in Christ. So let this be an encouragement as you, as you meditate on these truths of God as three persons in one essence. Three distinct persons, one essence. The beauty of the Trinity all united in one glorious plan of salvation. As we then respond in thankfulness to God, May we treasure and worship and serve all of who God is in His beauty as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let me pray and we can have questions if there are. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we thank You so much that You are not like other gods who are singular alone, who, who are not relational, who, who are not supreme, there's no love within them, as it were. But we thank you that we see the beauty of these truths here. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May we worship you and adore you in all your glory, in all your perfection. And may we never neglect um, uh, you, Father, or you, Son, or you, Holy Spirit. But may we treasure you all. And may we give all worship honor and praise to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.